Well, it is my great privilege tonight to introduce our speaker to you. Um, I don't know, it was a couple, two or three years ago, our daughter Heidi started <laughs> talking about this person named Havila. <laughs> and uh, she was reading her stuff and, and um, listening when she could, and, and she really wanted her to come up and to one of our um, ladies' advances. But I think you just are very busy. And so finally, 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 we get, we get to have her here. So um, Havala's from Redding, California. She has four amazing boys and a fantastic husband who lets her travel. And we are just so blessed and we're so excited about what God's going to do in us, right? In the next couple of days and through this amazing lady. Let's give her a hand. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I promise you, you'll probably stand at the end. No, I'm kidding. Um, it is such an honor to be with you tonight. Um, hello, Alaska. I, I did wear my brown boots and my jeans. I felt like I should at least be Alaskan from here down and then California from here up. So it's all there. Um, but why don't you look at the person next to you and just say, you look so much better after that. You really needed that. <laughs> it is such an honor to be with all of you. And yes, I am busy. I do have a family, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But I just wanted to thank the women that that it took so, I mean, they worked so hard to get me here, and I wanted to thank uh, Emily for all of her hard work to get me here, and uh, I met, Gretchen's been driving me around, which I, I so appreciate, and then as well as um, Brenda and Joni, it's, it's an honor to be here. In fact, my dad used to speak at Abbott Loop as a little girl. I would come here. Does anybody remember that at all? Okay, there's like four of us. And so I would come here as a little girl. We would fly to Alaska, and we would, my dad would speak at Abbott Loop, so full circle, right? And then I actually spent a summer here at one point in this building, I believe, um, with YWAM many, many, many moons ago. And, um, and so it's, I feel like I have a little bit of history with Alaska, which I appreciate. And um, so it's such an honor. And you know, the, the interesting part is that um, I am a mom, which is interesting because life is, if you're a mom, life is just interesting. And this is my family. I have four boys, which is amazing and, and equally as gross. Does anybody have boys in their house? There are things that if I go to, if I die and it's the last thing I see, I may not make it to heaven. Does anybody else feel that way in their house with their boys? When a, when a, when a boy says, hey, when a boy says that's gross, like I grew up in an all-girl home. I, I am half, uh, my dad is full Italian. I'm half Sicilian, and um, which you'll notice by the hands. And, um, but I grew up in a very female home. I have an identical twin sister, and then I have a mom, and I have an Italian dad who's almost a girl. And so we lived in a very, very female home, and then 
I got married and started having boys, and it has been very interesting. When, when my husband would say, that's gross, I mean, in a girl home, you say, that's gross, and it's like you broke a nail. You're like, oh, it's gross. Look what happened. It's like bleeding a little. When a man says, that's gross, you should say, I don't want to know, and I don't want to look. Like, ask, tell another man, that's gross, and you guys look at it together and enjoy whatever the foulness is, but leave me out of it. I'm still trying to get to heaven. And so, um, so these, this is my family. And uh, so Ben is my, my husband as almost 13 years. And uh, we have, he is an amazing man. In fact, he's home with all four of our boys right now. Uh, he just took them to, he has a soccer game tonight. He has three tomorrow. He has soccer pictures tomorrow. And uh, so they basically eat like junk food and watch Star Wars all weekend. And, and I go home and detox them on, 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 sun, on Monday. But um, so but he's the love of my life. I waited a long time, 27 years to meet my husband. And I always say, if you're waiting, it's okay because good meat takes time to marinate. And so if that's where you're at, yes and amen. Yes. And uh, so he is, uh, and he also does, he's the, uh, he directs all of my, like, he records me and he films and he edits and he does all of my social media and all that good stuff. So uh, he is uh, very, he's very kind and he, he is um, very humble and he makes me very normal. And then um, Judah is our eldest son and Judah is 10 years old and Judah is my classic firstborn. Is anybody a firstborn in the room? Firstborns never miss a moment. You're like, that's me right here. Most of my fir firstborns are the ones that got everybody here. You're the ones that are driving. You're the ones that, come on, all my firstborns, you know who you are. You're all, yeah. And uh, you are praying for all of us middle children. And so he is that. He, I remember one day he said, Mom, when are we going to get rid of them? And I said, <laughs> which was his brothers. He was very concerned that his brothers were going to be staying with us. And I said, well... Um, son, we're in this for a long time. And so he's very offended that he's not an only child. And so Judah is 10, and uh, he wants to be a movie producer when he grows up. Uh, but um, he either needs to do that or he needs to marry Rich because that's what we're working with right now. He is, um, we're praying hard for him. And then Gray Hudson is our... He's our nine-year-old, and he has bright blue eyes, and he's energetic and constantly moving and very much like that all-boy, and he climbs everything, and he jumps from furniture piece to furniture piece. Does anybody have anybody like that grandchild in the house? And so, and he comes home every day with a note from a girl, and so we spank him for that. And, um, uh -huh. and so that is our, our Hudson. And then Grayson is our little blondie, and he is very much a tw like a twin of me. He has uh, blonde, you know, blue eyes and blonde hair, and he has a raspy voice. And so we're praying that he stops smoking. But mostly, um, mostly we, uh, he is, he loves, I don't know who he is and where he came from, but he, I mean, I know, I know who his dad is, but I mean, like, I don't know, at least I hope. But anyway, I just think he is very, um, he's, he is, different. I mean, for Christmas, the only thing that he wanted was a tuxedo. <laughs> Six years old in kindergarten, and he went, and he wears a tuxedo every single day to kindergarten. And I, I don't know where he learned that, but I'm so tired of feeling underdressed in my own home. <laughs> so for his birthday, he asked for a wedding cake. And so... 
I went to Walmart and I bought a two-tier white wedding cake and I bought a little man, and, you know, bride and groom and he was thrilled. And so he got that and then for his birthday he got like eight different ties and he mixes and matches and now he has suspenders. And yesterday I just ordered a brand new pair of dress shoes from Target that came in and he was he was so thrilled he almost cried and so he had those on um on his way so he is he once he's wearing now he has now added suspenders and a vest and dress shoes and a tuxedo it, it's just it's really he said mom is there anything that they they have they ever invented anything that holds your tie in place <laughs> so but all that to say i could go on, on but he he said the other day he goes mom when am i going to be a grown-up and I said, you know, Grayson, you have a long ways. You're, you know, you're six years old. It's going to be a while. So he thinks for a minute. He says, well, Mom, when am I going to get married? And I said, again, this is going to take a very long time. And he, I said, but, you know, you can marry me. Like, I'm, you know, as every mom does, there's some point where you're like, I don't ever want you to leave, so marry me and let's just get over with. And, uh, and I, he's, I said, you can marry me. And he looks at me, he gets very angry, and he says, Mom, I don't want to marry you. I want a woman all to myself. So he's in therapy. And then Beckham. <laughs> Beckham is our, he is our joy. He's our joy bomb. He is, um, he, you know, God knew that, that he would be the last child. He has an extremely high pain tolerance. And... Um, he is, he's total joy, laugh, he has these big man teeth, and he is so fun, and I love him, and he's mommy's, if I say, who's, who's mommy's baby? He goes, I am, and I love it, and he is in preschool. So those are my four boys, and they're at home, and then because I didn't have anything else to do, we got a dog for Christmas, so, so that's fun. Anyway, um, pull out your Bibles, if you will for just a minute. You know, tonight I'm very excited. I'm very honored that you would bring me in to speak. And what's very exciting about this, sorry, I'm trying to pull my tag thing down. Okay. What's very exciting about this whole, like be, me being able to come is just um, really being away from my family. No, I'm kidding. Um, the, the really part of it and, uh, is, that, um, is that we're going to spend the next 24 hours together. And it, within the next 24 hours, I'm going to teach you a series called I Do Hard Things. And the exciting part about this series is this series was written in one of the hardest seasons of my life. This series was written when I had had my fourth C-section in five years. Yes, I win. When I had, we had lost our job. My kids had all been diagnosed with hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh-huh. And we were, I had been, we had been, I had lost our job as of 19 years on staff at a church that we had started. And so you could imagine, uh, there was a month, three months before I finished the series, we loaded up our U-Haul and we left the only family that I had ever been around. I lived in my own parents' house until I got married. And, um, and so here I was loaded up. I spoke, I had a, I had just had our three-month-old baby Beckham. And I had spoken 17 times in the month of October. My husband had packed up our car, and we drove to a place called Redding, California, to be on staff at Bethel Church, which seems kind of dreamy because Bethel Church is worldwide, and uh, there's about 10,000 people that call that church their home. And we, have, we go all over the globe, our message. But 
I was the girl that didn't want to leave home, and I was the girl who had four kids, and here I was leaving my home, and I was landing in a place where I didn't know anybody really other than old relationships, and here I was recovering from a C-section. I was 30 pounds overweight, and I was landing in a place where I felt at my worst, and here I was going to be on a worldwide stage to be a voice, and I was humiliated. And here I was coming in and I knew that I was going to go back home and I was going to do a series. And the Lord began to talk to me about that series. And that series was I Do Hard Things. And when I wrote this message, this whole series, I cannot tell you, but even as I review my notes for this series, I feel emotional and I feel pain because I remember what it was like to write these words. These words cost me, and these are my stories. So I'm not preaching this as somebody who is someone saying, well, if you guys want to be spiritual, I'm like, if you want to make it, these are the words that have helped me make it in my life. And so I'm going to teach you a little bit about how to do the hard things in your life and how to not just do them, but to live through them and not to survive, but actually thrive. And I want to teach you how to do that. And so in the book of James, as we kind of start our study, James chapter 1 verse 2 says this, James chapter 1. And I want to say this, before we do everything, and before, I, I'm going to walk you through how to climb, a, of, how to climb uh, into a place in your life where you thrive. But I want us to understand something, that at the end of this entire series, tomorrow night, as we close out all of this, and I'm asking you to stay with me. I'm really asking you that you don't just go, well, that doesn't apply to me tonight and whatever, but I really am asking that you trust me that I promise you at the end of tomorrow night, you will have a game plan for your future. And, and the goal is this, that at the end of everything, at the top of the ladder, that you will have permission to dream again with your life. Like, that is my passion. That's why I flew. I took a red eye last night. That's why I landed in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska. That's why I came here in the middle of winter. Because I believe that you are called not just to survive, but you're actually called to thrive and you're called to dream and, and have permission to dream with your life and where God is taking you and your family and your future, no matter how old you are, I believe this is where we're going to get. But a lot of us aren't dreaming because of this. James chapter 1, verse 2. Should we pray? Okay, God help. Amen. That's all you need. Okay, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. How many of you ever face trials of many kind? If you are not raising your hand, we want you to stand so we can punch you right now. We want to punch you in the face. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Now, that sounds, how many of you are like, oh, that's awesome. Well, I want us to just look at this for a minute. The author, this author is telling us this thing. It's saying, listen, if you go through trials and tribulations, then your faith will be complete. That is so flippin' offensive. Come on. You're telling me that if I have to go through trials and tribulations in order to have a complete faith, that's horrible. Why would God want us to go through trials? Wouldn't he deliver us? Isn't he a kind God? 
It's very important. I want to teach you the truth about this because what it's saying is that at the end of trials and tribulations, it will work within you something that will complete your faith so that at the end of it, you'll go, I have a complete faith. And so we can't just avoid hard things in life as spiritual leaders in our home. I don't mean like we are women. And so I'm talking about like you are the spiritual leader of your life. You get to choose who you're going to be. And so if you're going to be a godly wife, a godly mom, a godly leader, a godly daughter, whatever you are in your life, if you're going to be a godly person, then you're going to have to choose to go through hard things. And if you are avoiding hard things, then you are lacking maturity. You are, you are acting like a child in your Christianity. And you probably are fighting depression. And you're probably a little anxious about your life. And you're probably a little discouraged about your life because you're treating your spirituality with immaturity. And you're asking God to feed you milk when he's saying, I can't feed you milk anymore. I actually want you to eat meat. I want you to grow up because you're not called to sit and be a baby Christian. You're called to be a a mature Christian. And mature Christians point to what Christ really does and who he really is. And it's a complete work. So some of you are dealing with feeling discouraged, and part of it is that God just won't meet you where you are because he doesn't want to raise spoiled brats. Listen, I love, I love it, but God is not a grandparent. He's a parent. You know you grandmas in here. You guys are ruining our children. You are ruining our ch- My mom is ruining my children. She raised me, and she had all these rules about sugar and TV. We didn't even grow up with TV. My mom's like, the kids walk in the house. She's like, you can have anything you want, TV, iPads. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I, you know, I'm grandma. I'm like, no, this is, they're going to join the Taliban if you're not careful, mom. Like, stop it. My ki- detoxing my kids from leaving my mom's house. So here's what I want you to understand. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. I have so much to go through, and I'm going to go as fast as I can tonight because we have places to go. But Genesis chapter 37, I want to explain this story for a minute. This is a story of Joseph. Joseph is the baby in the family. He's like my Beckham. And Joseph is, uh, he's his dad's favorite. And I mean, we're not just talking like kind of favor. We're talking about like the dad loves him so much he makes him a coat so he can wear it around and rub it in his brother's face. I mean, I have four boys. I cannot even imagine making Beckham a colored coat so that way he could be like, I'm mom's favorite. And I like make like mom's favorite child and he's walking around like, my boys would want to punch him in the face. Come on. And so Joseph walks, I mean, Joseph is, and this is what's interesting, is Joseph's a very interesting child. He's he's very prophetic. He has these really unique dreams, and he's just different. And what's interesting is, is that Joseph didn't ask his dad to favor him. He just has this particular gift that's that's very abrasive. He's very, he's very, he's like a gifted child. And he's so gifted that he can't help it. He just has these dreams, and he's favored by his dad, and So pretty soon his brothers begin to hate him. And I understand that. I mean, I'm reading this and I'm like, I want to, I want to not like Joseph. But we kind of land in this part of the scripture in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. This is about the brothers. The brothers 
look at him, and they saw him coming at a distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. And listen, listen, they say this, here comes that dreamer. Isn't that interesting that they didn't say, here comes Joseph? They didn't say, here comes our brother. They label him. Here comes that dreamer. They label him. And then they say, come. Now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns, which is like a pit. It's basically a, a hole where they would store water, but it's, there's no water in it, so it becomes kind of like this, this pit in the ground. And, let us, and, and they say, and a ferocious animal devour him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Another word for cistern would be a pit. And this is what's interesting, is when Joseph is taken by his brothers, they see him, they strip him of his, of his robe, He's nearly naked. And they take this baby brother who should be protected by his older brothers. And they throw him in this pit. He's vulnerable. He's helpless. He's in this dark cave. And his brothers leave him. And what's interesting about this, and what I want us to take a few minutes to understand, is that all of us in our lives have experienced pits of pain. And usually we experience pain in our life well before adulthood. It's just impossible for us not to experience pain. And I want to explain four pits that we can land in in our life. The first pit that we, if you're taking notes, this is what you can write with, but the first potential pit that we experience in our life is childhood. Uh-oh. Why are you laughing? Did I do something? Okay. Childhood. And what I mean by that is, you never, some of you never got to pick your dad. Come on. You didn't get to pick if he was a good man or not a good man. You didn't get to choose if he was, loved you and provided for you or if he disappeared and ran off. You didn't get to choose if he picked your family or if he started another family. You didn't get to choose your mom. You didn't get to choose if she was a loving, caring, compassionate woman or if she was narcissistic and juvenile and was about her. You didn't get to pick who your family was. This was yours. I think about Joseph. He didn't get to choose that he was the youngest brother. He didn't get to choose that his dad favored him. He just landed in a place of pain well before he understood why. And this is where he landed. Another way that we land in pain often is with personality. Personality, which is interesting, right? Like, how can personality be a place of pain? Well, what's interesting is that a lot of you didn't get to pick uh, your humor. You didn't get to pick if you were loud or quiet. You didn't get to pick if you were, you know, uh, confident or insecure. You didn't get to pick if you had a special gift or your, even your intellect or your IQ. You didn't pick that. And, and, and many of you, it was painful because you weren't like your family. 
You weren't like those around you. In fact, you felt isolated even though you were with a lot of people. And maybe you felt like you were included in your family, but then when you got into school age and you were around other peers, you realized you were different. It was painful. There were things, you know, if I was to say, and we don't have time, but if I was to say, close your eyes, I want you to think of the first moment when you remember being rejected. It's not usually adulthood. It's usually very early on, we'll remember an incident on a playground or with a cousin or a sibling or something that happens that has, when, we, when all of a sudden we realize that we could be hurt and we could be rejected and things weren't normal, we often come to a place where our personality, I remember as a young woman, you know, my, I was my dad's only son. And I remember, you know, my sister was the, was the lamb and he, they would call me the lion. In fact, I remember growing up, my parents had the book, The Strong-Willed Child, and they had it on our coffee table. And I, it was just for me. It was just a reference point that I knew that they were studying about me. And, um, and you know, it's, it's awesome to be a lion now. But it's totally different when we got into the church and I realized that what I thought looked like a godly woman was very submissive and quiet and didn't have an opinion about a lot of things. And I was none of those things. And so I had to realize, like, that was painful to think that I was different. And, you know, now we look at the Christian world and we're like, oh, there's really powerful women that teach and preach. But not growing up, I didn't know one woman that did. So I had to realize that for me it was always well. And I remember one point, I remember being in pain, and this is the crazy part. I'm just having this memory right now. When I got to Alaska, this is so crazy, I was um, 13 years old, and I remember coming to this church. It wasn't anybody who was a part of this church. It was actually a team leader. And I remember being distraught because I was, I was having a hard time relationally with the group, and I felt kind of disconnected, and I remember being in pain, and one of the guys there was a spiritual leader. He said, I'll meet with you in the cafeteria late at night. I'll meet with you, and I'll tell you what your problem is. And I was so desperate, I thought, I'll meet you. So I went there, and he, I remember him drawing a picture, and he said, you know, when you don't get attention, you either get angry or you get depressed. And he drew this whole picture, and he said, it's really because you're arrogant. And if you weren't so arrogant, you'd be happier. And I remember, I mean, just remembering that thinking there's something wrong with me because I, I felt like I was called to influence. And what they, he was saying is if you were just more quiet, you'd be, look more humble. And it wasn't arrogance. I believe it was a desire to want to be used and not be hidden. And I believe there was more within me, which now is evident full circle. Interesting. So number, the third area that we often find pain in our lives is just simply relationships. You know, some of us, we didn't have, um, we didn't have issues with our family, but we had, you know, we can remember a coach or we can remember, I can remember, you know, different ones. And again, these are just areas of potential pits. They're areas that we find, you know, there was a cousin or there was a sibling or someone in our life relationally that, that hurt us. It's changed the way you are. It's how you approach relationships. It's how you approach church life. It's how you approach your marriage. It's how you envision yourself having female relationships. It's changed you. You haven't been able to be free, and so it's scary. So I want to explain that a little bit. And, and lastly is this, is just simply our physical body. And our body, and, and this is very personal to me. I grew up, I 
like I said, I'm, my family's Italian, and my grandfather was an Italian immigrant who came over from Italy to Staten Island and lived in a one-bedroom apartment with his five siblings. Oh, thank you, his five siblings. And he worked his way up to being an attorney and then a Supreme Court Justice of New York State of five terms. And which is very exciting, but I also had, a, all of my family was very highly educated and very uh, driven. And even though they gave their life to, to Christ, my dad was a congressman's son who became a hippie, became suicidal and worshiped Krishna and Buddha and, and finally came to Jesus and had a radical uh, conversion and uh, ended up leading his siblings to the Lord because he was asked to pray at a Thanksgiving meal and an hour later had led all of his siblings to the Lord. But what's interesting about that is that even though they were, they, they came from very high powered, influential, high academic uh, in the, in the you know, marketplace, they went into ministry and they built ministries worldwide in the music industry, the missions movements that are still continuing to this day, evangelistic movements that have continued, which is phenomenal, except that I immediately found out in third grade that I had massive learning disabilities. I couldn't, in high school, I couldn't read my own handwriting. Um, I couldn't read out loud. I was completely lost. By the time I remember being a sophomore in high school, I didn't even know what was happening in my classes. I was very good at guessing, and so I guessed my way through being about a C student. But I remember being terrified that my friends would, would find out about my weakness. I remember sitting in class and when the teacher would say, we're gonna read out loud, I remember being obsessed, counting the person in front of me to make sure that I would read that paragraph over and over and over because I knew I would have to read it out loud and I knew that I couldn't read out loud. And so as I came to Christ, I remember feeling like the Lord saying, I'm gonna use you and I thought, you can't use me. I'm the girl without the brain. I thought for some reason if I surrendered my life to Christ, he would heal me and that I somehow wouldn't have to deal with the reality that I couldn't comprehend and read and write and all of that stuff. And so when it came to pain in my life, I remember early on coming to Christ and being at an altar call and telling God, God, I have nothing to give you. My hands are so empty. And I remember him saying, Havilah, your hands are empty today, but one day they'll be overflowing. And that sounds so romantic. But the truth is, I had to live it out. But when it came to pain in my life, I remember early on that my physical frame, that I had to learn to do hard things well, and that God wasn't going to just improve my IQ or improve my ability, but I was going to have to walk through the hard thing to get to the promise that he had for me. And I want to explain a little bit about that to you tonight because it's very important that we understand where are our potential pits, where are the areas where pain has resided because I'm telling you, one of these areas is where you have had pain and let me say, pain has a voice. And the voice of pain says this, do whatever it takes to make it stop. Do whatever you need to do to make it stop. And pain can also paralyze us. Oftentimes, we can get stuck in feeling pain in such a way that we feel hopeless. And hopeless is this. Hopelessness means that we believe life is perpetually bad. 
that there is no hope and that we're just surviving. And so this is kind of where Joseph lands. He lands in a place of pain in his life. You know, it's funny. God has never been afraid of us walking through hard things. In fact, the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's interesting that it doesn't say, I will deliver you so you'll never have to go through a valley of shadow of death again. He's like, you're going to walk through it, but I'm not going to leave you in it. Now, this is very, very important. When I began to study this, I began to realize something. James chapter 1, verse 2, and this is, this is the secret of tonight. This is the secret of the series. This is where I want you to lean in and pay attention and just pause your Facebook for just a second. I want you to understand that this is, this is where I got this whole series from. Because James chapter 1, verse 2 says that when you walk through trials and tribulations, you will produce perseverance, and perseverance will give you maturity and completion. Now, this is important. When you go through trials and tribulations, you have to go through trials and tribulations to have maturity. Why? Because what you once feared no longer holds you and now you have confidence that you're going to make it. This is interesting. I remember the first time my husband and I ever had an argument. I don't mean like a little squabble. I mean, I'm like running through the house and he's running after me. That kind of argument. Have you ever had one of those? Look at you're not even willing to admit it. I just reject the shame right now, right now. And I just say, okay. I remember, I'm Italian. You know, we are very intense. We come out this way. And... I remember us having an argument and me in my bedroom crying and thinking like, God, how can he like, how can I kill him and be a glorified widow? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, how can this happen? Because I want to do this all over again because I was so offended. You know, the Bible says the two shall become one and I thought he, we would become me. Like I was confident that we should become me because I was the more spiritual godly one and he obviously had issues. Is anybody married to somebody with issues? And, you know, it's, it's annoying. And, um, and so, so when we got married, um, we, I remember us having a really big argument, and I cried, and I called my, my dad, and my dad said, Honey, he's your husband. You know, you, may, you have to go talk to him about that. And I remember being so offended at my dad that he wouldn't rescue me from this weird, weird man that was living in my house. And, and so... What happened is, is, of course, we made up. We, clearly, we have four children. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is the, mo the next time that we got into an argument, you know what happened? I had a little more confidence that we were going to be okay. Why? Because what I walked through, I no longer feared. And this is what happens, and I'm going to come out of the light a little, but I'm Italian. i got to get close, Right? This is what happens, is when we avoid trials and tribulations, or we think, I don't want to walk through it, and I'm going to stay immature, and I'm not going to go through it, God, and I'm going to sit here and wait for you to rescue me. God goes, I cannot build confidence in you. I cannot build confidence in you until you're willing to say, I'm not leaving here until I get through this with you. That's it. So when you go, well, God, you know, I, you, let me tell you something. There, I no longer fear... If I'm going to lose my job, what would I do? 
I no longer fear that. Why? Because I've already been through it and God rescued me and now I don't fear it like I did. I once did and now I have confidence and my faith that was immature and lacked faith and lacked confidence and was immature and, and insecure no longer has that because now I have gone through it. I have lived in it. I have loaded up the U-Haul. I have driven three hours away. I have unpacked my house. I have moved 10 times with four children and now I know. You Go ahead, throw it at me. Go ahead. Go ahead, enemy. You're going to lie to me and tell me what am I going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it. And the reason I'm going to make it is because I haven't tried to avoid the hard things and I haven't cried in my beer and I haven't just hoped that somebody would pray me out of it. Or pro Look, at, I love us as a church, but I am so flipping tired of people trying to get prophesied out of pain. Come on. It's wonderful to get a prophetic word, but prophetic words don't take us into a place where we get powerful. It only confirms what we have partnered with in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that reminds us, this is who you are. Are you going to agree with me or not? And that's it. A prophetic word only illuminates what the Holy Spirit should already be saying within us. It's a confirmation of the reality of him in our lives. And so I love us, but the truth is we as godly women, oftentimes we stay immature because we think God's being mean. Listen, you are not any more special than anybody else. Your mom, I know you are cute. You're very cute. But the truth is we are all going to experience hard things. And if I was to show you the person that you envy the most, and I was to really show you everything that they were going to have to walk through, I bet you would pick your, your wife. We're so fascinated with thinking people have it easy that we end up not doing the things in front of us because we assume that somebody must have it easier. Yeah, they, it might be a little easier because they've surrendered to the process, but it doesn't mean that they've had to avoid the hard things. They've actually, every single person I've ever met and ever been around, every powerful world-class leader that I've ever been around has had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No one has avoided it. And the enemy would love nothing more than to tell you to avoid it. And what he wants you to do is stay immature. And what he wants you to do is fear. And what he wants you to do is bow down to anxiety and worry and trying to sort it out and budget it out and figure it out and pray it out and stop. Stop. It's a cycle and it's not healthy and it's not helping anybody. Things have to change. Things have to change in our communities. We have to stop avoiding the hard things and praying that God would rescue us from them and believe that he's with us in them and begin to be powerful within them. Stop avoiding. Listen, the Bible says that it's going to get darker and darker. And so if we're so afraid of the dark things, then we'll never actually be looking for the things of light, the things where God is with us. We need a history where we can tell our grandkids that God made it. He helped us through it. We need that. And that can only happen through perseverance. So it tests our faith. And when we climb out of our pit of pain, guess what happens? We build confidence. You see somebody who's spiritually confident? I'll show you somebody who's been willing to climb out of their pit of pain. You show me somebody who has a little bit of confidence, you'll go, oh, that's somebody who was willing to own who they were and, and lean into God and say, oh, that's, they, they trusted God. You see, when we lean into maturity, fear goes away. And, what, and, and we are no longer bound by the what-ifs in life. 
Look, sometimes we've got to realize that do we need to have a plan for pain in our life. And that plan cannot be avoidance. That plan can't be, well, I'll just get over here and I'll just do this and hope. Well, when I marry this kind of person, my pain will go away. Try it. <laughs> try it. When I get this kind of job, things will be, no, try it. Because what I've learned is that, we, is that there's a deeper work within us that we have to rely on God through everything. And that's when we start to bring peace. So we have a choice every single time. So what happens? How do we climb out of pain? And how do we begin to get mature? Well, there are two types of ways that we, that we face pain. And I don't mean like those that are not in faith and those that are in faith. I'm talking about a mentality that we live in as believers. And the first type of mentality that we often are faced with is a victim mentality. Now, I don't know about you, but we have this in California. I'm sure you don't have this in Alaska. But a victim mentality has been around since the beginning of time. And this mentality is so clear in the Bible. I'm going to read from John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read you about this story for a minute. And John chapter 5, verse 5 says this. There was a great number of disabled people who used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one was there who had been in, an invalid for 38 years. This is where we're kind of landing. And that is Jesus is coming on the scene, and there's this special miraculous place that when the water moves whoever touches the water first is instantaneously healed and so Jesus comes on the scene and he sees this man who's been there for 38 years I don't know if he's been around the water for 38 years but he's been sick for 38 years and so that tells me that he's had some time to understand what's happening in his life and when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he, about his condition for a long time he asked this. Do you want to get well? Now, can we just pause here for a minute? <laughs> this man has been sick for 38 years. Jesus finds out that he's been sick for 38 years. And when he sees the person who's sick, Jesus says this to them. So do you want to get well? Could you imagine walking into a cancer ward? Meeting somebody who's been fighting cancer for like a year, holding on for dear life, and the first thing you do is look at them and say, well, do you want to be well? That'd be horrible. Could you imagine? Like, what do you think? I don't want to be well? Like, why are you even asking me that? How insensitive. Why would you do that to me? Well, this is what's happening with this man. Jesus walks up to him and he goes, do you want to get well? And he's not asking the man, do you want to be well? What he's asking the man is this, do you want your power back? Do you want your power back? And I think this is what Jesus is doing in our lives. Like the Holy Spirit is doing this in our life. He does it all the time. He'll say, you'll go, well, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll go, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to just get a divorce? Do you want a divorce? Well, do you want, do you want to just quit your job? Do you want to just leave the church and start, go to another church? And we're like, you're not helping, God. Why are you asking questions? Tell me what to do. And what he's doing is he's saying, listen, you're not powerless. Like, I don't know where we've gotten so caught up in the, in the thing of like, well, you know, it's up to God, whatever he wants to do. I, if God did not 
go into the Garden of Eden and override Adam and Eve's free will, I doubt he's going to override your free will. He's not going to go in and make you do anything. Well, if that's how it's going to be, he'll just make it happen. No. He's, he can create miracles. Absolutely. He is, by grace, he's done way more. But there is, listen, there's a reality where we have to partner with the Spirit of God in our lives. We have to partner with him. And so this, Jesus goes to this man and says, what, well, do you want to be well? I, I would suggest that right now the Spirit of God is leaning over your life and he's asking you a question. And that question has very little to do with the situation. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to pull out the part of you that needs to be powerful to make a, a godly decision in your life, to make a powerful decision in your life. And he's asking you a question and we keep saying, show me what to do. And God's saying, do you want your power back? Because listen, you cannot be powerful if somebody else holds half the responsibility to the situation. And what I mean by that is this. God wants us to live, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life. The Spirit of God wants you to live an abundant life without anyone else participating. Without your husband participating without your pastor participating, without your kids He wants you to be able, listen, he would not have promised it if it wasn't possible for us to live an abundant life in Anchorage, Alaska. He wouldn't promise it if it wasn't possible. But he wants you to have your power. He wants you to get it back. And he wants you to make decisions that lead you into power, lead you into confidence. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, sir, he said, do you want to get well? And the, and the guy says two things that are so telling about this mentality. So telling. He says this, the first thing. I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. The first, the first signal or the first sign of somebody who has a victim mentality is that they're always, they always believe that they're alone. They always believe they have no help. It's a sure sign. The moment I start to agree with the enemy about my life, the, I will always feel alone. Well, there's nobody else that has four boys. And two of them don't even know God yet. Like, it's, I'm like, it's horrible, right? Like, well, you know, well, there, nobody else has to work as hard as I do, and nobody else has to do this and do that. Come on. Has anybody else experienced that? I'm the only one who has this kind of child. I'm the only one. It's classic. It's a classic sign where the enemy wants, what does he want to do? He wants to take you away from the tribe, away from the group, away from, from the pack. He wants to get you over here and alone so he can hurt you. Isolation. You know, it's interesting. The moment I start to feel isolation, I have to ask myself, why is it so important that the enemy wants to get me away? I wonder what's about to happen within the community that I'm a part of, that the enemy would want to pull me away from them. I wonder what's about to be released within my life. I always get concerned when I meet people that have, they, they have the word of God or they're so confident or they have a ministry, but they're connected to no one. It's a very scary person. Because actual maturity requires us to be dependent on others, to be in unity and not to be isolated. And this man was so sick that when he said, he goes, I have no one. And I love you. It only takes one person for you to have no one. And I guarantee there is one person that's on your side. 
I guarantee there is one person we could find that you go, yeah, they're on my side. They're with me. And I believe that's the case for this man. Secondly, he says this, <laughs> that while I'm, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Second sign of a victim. First, I'm alone. I have no one. Second sign, everyone has more than I do. It's comparison. You go, well, I'm just struggling with feeling insecure. No, no, you're struggling with being a victim to your reality. There's always going to be someone that's better than you. Like, I just kind of come to grips with that, right? Like, there's always, I was an identical twin. I'm left-handed, she's right-handed. We lived very similar. Our, we were married six months apart. Our first babies are nine days apart. Our second babies are three weeks apart. Our third babies are three months apart. And they all have the same dad. No, they don't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. No. <sighs> I knew she was weird. I knew it. Sorry, that's inappropriate. Um, it's very inappropriate. Um, but, you know, I, I was used to being compared. You guys get together. You're the bigger. You're the littler. Who's the smart one? Who's the, I mean, I was, that was my whole life. Comparison. And I've learned that comparison is the enemy's way of telling you that God cheated you. Somehow, someone got it better. And so this man says, every time somebody else, is that your narrative in your life? Every time I go, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. I, I don't have even time to preach all this, but I will say this. I think oftentimes we get insecure about what somebody else is doing because it's actually not, we're not even called to be doing it, but because they live in such a place of confidence because it's their call that it's attractive to us. And if we would actually live in our call, we wouldn't compare. But often we're so bored and apathetic in our own lives that when we see somebody actually living out something, we begin to think, well, if I could do that, then I would be happy. And happiness is an inside job. Come on. Contentment is an inside job. It has nothing to do. I have met brilliant people, educated people, financially secure people. I've met people that have our world-class leaders and New York Times bestsellers. And let me tell you something. <laughs> Confidence is not about what we have. I, some of them are the most insecure people I've ever met. I'm shocked. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, do you know you're, like, let me just show you all the things I thought you had. Right? Because, and then I've met people that, I, they don't have, there's no accolades. But they are the happiest, most content person on the earth, I think. It's like liquid gold. Who are you? How did you figure out the secret to this? Because contentment is an inside job. It's us embracing who God's called us to be and being willing to live that out without shame and fear. That's it. Staying in our own lanes. <laughs> you stay in your own lane. Don't pass other people. Don't try to get in front of other people. Stay in your own lane. Leave it alone. That would be my word of wisdom for any of you right now. You go, what? Are, leave it alone. Well, what about leave it alone? Well, they don't deserve, leave it alone. It's, you're not going to help, and they're not going to listen. Leave it alone. Stay in your own lane. Keep going. You will get there, but leave it alone. Most of the rabbit trails we take are just to get us off of our own, where God wants to take us. So this man says to Jesus, I have no one. 
and somebody else. Two distracting moments in our lives. And I would suggest that probably any area in your life right now that you are struggling with has something to do with you feeling isolated or you, you struggling with somebody else getting there sooner than you. Leave it alone. Jesus is asking you a question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be confident? Do you want to be able to do the hard things in your life well? Then lean in. And this is what's so fascinating. Like, if I was sitting somewhere and I had been sick for 38 years, this would be my plan. And this is kind of how they go out the Bible. It's kind of funny, but I think, like, wouldn't you just lay on the edge of the pool and when the water moves, I'd be like to my friend, like, kick me in. <laughs> like, what do you mean someone's trying to help you in? Like, shove me. Throw a rock at my head and let me fall into the water. Like, come on. Is anybody else thinking, like, come on. You've got a plan, buddy. But that's exactly what a victim mentality is, is that the, it's so ridiculously simple that we, it's like we, uh, there's so many things I was laughing with my husband. I said, there's so many situations where I just want to hit somebody with the common sense stick. <laughs> like, this is not brain surgery. The enemy has blinded you from just go, being willing, like, you, God, you're not, just because you're going through hard things doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Amen. <laughs> Jesus told the disciples to go across the lake, and he will meet them there. When they went into the water, they hit a storm. Who called them into the water? Jesus. Were they doing something wrong when they faced a storm? No. In fact, they were obeying the will of God for their life, and they hit a storm. Why would they go into a storm? Why would Jesus do that to them? Oftentimes, Jesus will allow storms to happen in our lives because he wants to show you his character and his nature that cannot be understood on the shore, but must be understood in the storm. And you will only build confidence if you are willing to go in the storm. That's the only way we build confidence. Like, even like scientifically and, the, and, and, and I, I've done, there's studies on this that isn't even a theological discussion. It actually has everything to do with, the, I've read books on, on kids being raised, and they said the only way to, only way to, to build self-confidence in your child, the only way for anybody to build self-confidence is if they take a risk. That's the only way. And it has nothing to do if they succeed or they fail. It has everything to do with the risk taking. That's where self-confidence is built. So some of you are very good at this in life, but when it comes to your spiritual life, you're like, uh. And so you lack confidence. You're like, I want to be a spiritual, confident person. Then you better take a risk. You may want to try lifting your hands and worship. Well, that's scary. Like, I don't know. Try it. Well, praying over people, I don't know. I'm not ready for that. I don't know if I try it. We, we have to risk in things for us to, I don't know. Can I tell somebody about Christ? Try it. It might, you might fail miserably, but you're going to build confidence that can only be built in risk. And that's how this works in life. So many times this man, just like this man, he felt completely subjected to the environment around him. Things don't just happen to us. I'm sorry, victim people believe that things don't just happen to them, but they happen at them. It's always happening at them. It's aggressive. And so victim people often will use, victim mentality will often, they will often use phrases like, why me? But, yes, and, well, yeah, I know, but, yeah, I tried that, but, 
Jesus was trying to get the man to get his power back, and he asked him a question that required a desire. So what happens? Well, here's what I want to explain. In order for us to begin to dream again, in order for us to be powerful again, in order for us to grow in God, in order for everything to change, it doesn't really matter. Some of this is 40 years old for you. And I know that. And you know what's funny is pain keeps us at stages where you can remember when you were 12 years old. Some of you have walked through it, and that's awesome, but I'll tell you the secret to it. I'll tell you what happens here that changes everything. It's interesting. There's a book that was written about uh, successful people, and they said they studied them, and it was a whole um, a whole study about was it education, was it gender, was it academics, was it IQ, did it happen to be about the, the, the state that they lived in, the country, and they found there was one specific attribute that every single one of those successful people had. One successful attribute, and that was choice. Choice. The Bible's so clear, choose this day who you will serve. Every breakthrough that's waiting for you, every breakthrough mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, every breakthrough that you're waiting for right now has everything to do with choice. Because it's a perspective issue, it's not a circumstance issue. I'll say that again, that was so good. It was... It's a perspective issue. It's not a circumstance issue. And you are giving too much power to the circumstance. And you're not giving enough power to the fact that you actually, it's a perspective issue. Who are you, who are you choosing? Who are you going to be in this moment? Yeah, you cannot cure what the doctor has diagnosed. You cannot cure the fact that your husband or your, your, your family is a knucklehead. You cannot cure the fact that you've wasted 20 years. Come on. You cannot cure the fact that this is life and you are financially in trouble. You cannot cure. What you can choose right now is your perspective. Who are you going to be right now? From this day forward, who are you going to be? Are you going to be a victim? Are you going to say, but nobody and everybody and I can't. Are you going to be that person? Or are you going to stand up and say, no, I'm done with the cycle. I'm done with saying I live in Alaska. I'm done with saying, come on. I'm done with saying it. I'm done with saying it's my church. It's my pastor. I don't have this. I don't have that. If I could just get to Reading. Let me tell you something. Bethel is not going to solve any of your problems. It's, it's not. It's a beautiful place. I love living in Reading. I'd rather live in Newport Beach. But the truth is, environments do not change people. Perspective does perspective does. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. So what happens? Everything changes when we, and every, we begin to, to, to stay, to begin to be powerful when we do something. Have you guys ever watched The Biggest Loser? Okay. There's this thing, like, I used to, I've watched it. I used to watch it when I was pregnant with ice cream. And just sit and eat ice cream and watch it. And my husband and I, that was literally our routine every single night. I would make myself a hot fudge sundae and I would watch The Biggest Loser. It was exactly what I did. Um, but anyway, I, um, there's this thing, if you watch it, it's this, it's this exercise thing where people get empowered to, you know, get healthy and lose weight and all that. But there's this thing where if you get below the red line, you don't get to go on. 
And this is kind of what's happening biblically. Like, if we don't take responsibility for where we are, don't look around. <laughs> Some of you right now are like, I want to look at my neighbor. I, this, I know. No, no, stop. Don't. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. If you don't take responsibility for where you are right now, you're never going to change. You're never going to change. So the first way we start to dream and have permission to dream is when we take responsibility. Some of us are so scared that, well, if I take responsibility for what I said, that it's going to be a mess. No, stop. God hasn't called you out this far to take you back again. He's called you out this far to take you in to where you're called to go. And I love you, but you cannot let your family determine who you're going to be. You cannot let your personality determine who you're going to be or your propensities. You have to stop it. You have to stop allowing those things to keep you in a victim mentality. God did not die on the cross. He did not send his only son. Could you imagine your son dying on a cross so that you could sit in Alaska and feel victim to your life? You know how much I would be upset if I watched my only son die and I watched you honor that by how you live right now? My only son, die so that you can feel overwhelmed with your life, so that you can feel powerless, so that you can feel victim. No, no, no. I'd be like, let's try this again. I sent my only son so that you can be free, so that you can have life. So you can stop putting hindrances on you by if you had opportunity or position or title, stop it. Those are all cycles. Responsibility. Who are you going to be? You can't do hard things if you don't choose how you're going to do it. I cannot pray you into confidence. This is really important. I'll, this is something else. It's free. I, I'll say this. Have you ever come to something like this and you thought, I need a breakthrough, God. Give me one word. I'm desperate. I need it. I, and you come. You're like, I just need it. Like, I'm in crisis. I'm in so much pain. I just need someone to pray me out of this prophesy. Do something. I, and I have. I've been, this has been, I have been so that girl. So I'm not judging that. I'm saying that we've all done that, right? And have you ever been to something like that where even people are prophesying and then they, like, pick the person next to you and the person next to them and you're, like, wearing red? Come on, right? And like you brought the friend who didn't even want to go that night and they get the breakthrough and you're like, I've been coming for five nights. You got the breakthrough. It's like the girl that like gets married and you're like so much cuter than she is. You know what I'm saying? And so why, why is it that when we come so desperate and we actually come for a breakthrough, we don't get it? At that moment, why is that? This is, I would suggest this. This helped me tremendously as a church girl who lived through this for many, many years. Because often God doesn't want that to be a part of your formula. He doesn't want, listen, if, I, if you came up and your pastor began to pray over you and she began to prophesy and she prayed you right out of it and you went home free and the moment you hit Christ again, what would you do? You'd be like, okay, we need to fly Havilah Cunnington in. We need to fill up the room with the auditorium. We need to do a series. I need to be here. Can you stand right here? Can you put your hands on me? Can you, no, let's try that again. Put your hands on me, prophesy. No, no, why? Because it's a formula. It would be a formula. So oftentimes when the moment we want a formula, God will withhold himself a little bit from us not in, not in mean, not trying to be mean, but he'll, he'll hold, withhold himself from us 
and intervene in a place when we least expect it because he wants to be in charge of how he shows up. He wants it to be about the heart. He wants to break all cycles and formulas that when we say, I'm going through it, God, what do I do? He goes, listen, I'm coming. I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to heal you. I'm coming to deliver you. I'm coming to give you a word, but I'm not going to do it on your own time. I'm not going to do it because you figured it out. I'm going to break all of that and I'm going to give you the breakthrough so that way at one o'clock in the morning when you want to have a Facebook meltdown, you have, come on, you, ha, you, you actually have a Holy Spirit meltdown and you begin to go, God, you showed up when I least expected. I'm in the carpool and I'm weeping because the worship song came on and it's broken my heart and I'm, I'm with you, God, and I hear you and I feel you and I'm in the middle of my, in my cubicle. Why would you do this to me, God? I was at church for four days and now I have a breakthrough. Why? Because I'm trying to show you that there isn't a formula to getting to me other than your heart. And I want to I show you that I'm not afraid of the mundane. I'm not afraid of the routine. I'm not afraid of the valleys. In fact, I'm the God of the valley. You know how much? It means more to God than us spending 30 or 40 minutes worshiping and doing everything we're supposed to do. Then the moment you're driving and you're in the middle of your chaotic day, and all of a sudden you say, God, I love you. That means more, just as much to him as us doing 30 minutes of spiritual gymnastics. Because it's about the heart. It's about our response. God, I love you. I'm with you. I don't know how to do this. God doesn't expect us to be experts. We've never been here before. You've never been here before. You've never been this old. I've never had four children, four boys. I've never had a dog that is still pooping on my rug. I've never done this. I've never, I've never preached and traveled like this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know. I've, ne I've never done this. The moment I expect myself to be an expert is the moment my joy leaves. But when I continue to be a learner and let God teach me is the moment I continue to be a child in his presence. Some of us, we're so expect ourselves to be experts, we have no more joy. I'll, I'll end with this. I have gone long. I think my time might be off. No, no. Okay, good. I, my, my time has not changed on here. Okay, let's, I'm good. I'm almost done. Don't say amen right there. That's not the right time to say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Wait, okay. There's another scripture, Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, verse 5. There was a man, a centurion, that comes to Jesus, and Jesus is ministering. And the man comes up to Jesus, and he says, listen, my servant is so sick with fever, he's going to die. And Jesus says, let me go. And the centurion says, no, no, I'm a man under authority. And what I say, what I say they do. So if you say it, it's as good as done. This is what's very important. When we go through hard things, trials, tribulations, things that are coming at us, this is, the, this is gold. We can't do everything, but we can do something. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Come on. You can show up into an auditorium on a Friday night. God, I can't save my marriage. I can't save my kids. I can't figure this all out. I don't know how to do all this, but I can do something. I can worship you in the middle of it. I can pray for you to, to intervene. I can read the book. I can, and this is important too, your value will never change before God. 
You can do hard things or you can be drugged through hard things. It doesn't matter how you do it or if you're drugged through it. Your value doesn't change. If I was to walk down here and I found an old penny and then I walked a few more steps and I found a brand new penny and I held them both out, how much value would they each have? The same. Your value is the exact same. If I go to heaven and G- I, meet, I meet God and I walk in and God goes, Havala, Pastor Havala, come. Author, writer, speaker, podcaster, Facebook liver, come. The thousands of people that you've reached, come. And then I have Beckham, my baby, behind me. He's like, and bring that little kid with you. God, God's not, he's going to be like, my son, my daughter, come. Sit on my lap right here. So you're saying me, the one who has written books, preached for 20 years at the age of 17, I have rarely said no to God. I have done everything he's asked me to do. We've reached thousands of people right now. And this, I mean, even on our Truth to Table platform, we have 25,000 people from 115 15 nations that, inter, that interact on our site. We have seen God do miraculous, sovereign things with people's lives. We have seen our voice reach the nations. And you have Beckham, who can barely wipe his butt. Like, that's the breakthrough we're looking for in Beckham's life right now. You guys, anybody else believing for the wiping breakthrough in your life? Okay. You can't, if you have not been there, you may not judge that. I want you to know that's judgment. But sometimes that is the only breakthrough we really need because some of us have to do laundry with that stuff. But anyway, when we get to heaven, God will not look and say, you did this and you did this. No, listen, you coming here tonight has nothing to do with value. You are valuable if you don't do another thing for God and you walk out of this place and you don't put any of this to practice and you're just his kid and you choose to live on your property with your dogs and you never do another thing. You still are as valuable as you are right now. There is no change in value. You are God's daughter and you're his kid and he loves you and you cannot do another thing to get his attention. You have his full attention. He loves you. He is madly in love with you. He is crazy about you. He has never stopped it. You have all of his attention and he is, he's just literally ecstatic about your life. So why would you come to a conference like this? The reason we come to events like this and we read the books and we buy the CDs and we sing and we worship and we grow and we build ourselves is because our value never changes, but our effectiveness does. And the reason we're all here tonight is not for value. The reason we're here and the reason you're coming back tomorrow in Jesus' name is because we want to equip you to be the women you're called to be. And I know that you cannot be equipped unless you spend some serious time learning from the word of God and getting encouraged because you need it, because you are in a battle for your life. And you need this, and you may think, I don't know if I need this right now, but you will need it because the Bible says, James chapter 1, you will walk through trials and tribulations, and if you learn how to do it right, and if you learn how to be effective in it, and if you learn how to grow and not be spoiled and not be apathetic, but actually mature and keep your power and go through what's coming, You're going to have a complete faith. You'll be lacking nothing. It'll be so mature. It'll be so amazing. People will say, if you believe God, then I believe God. Because I can see it. You're not a hypocrite. You're not a double-minded man. 
You're not lying. You are authentically anointed because you've been doing what God told you to do. And you, there's something powerful. There is nothing more attractive than an anointed person. So I'll say this. You can't do everything, but you can do something. When we take responsibility, everything changes in our life. A responsible person goes through things. Our job is simply to respond to God. Our job is simply to respond to God. Maybe somebody could come play for me. Psalms 23 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what that says? Every single phrase in Psalms 23 says, My Father knows me. My Father knows me. My Father knows me. Let me say this. You may not have been trained for this, but you were made for it. You may not have been trained to do the stuff in your life right now, but you were made for it. And God will not leave you. He will not leave you in the midst of this. He's going to train you so that you can equip the next generation that's coming up that need to know that the hard things they're going through are not going to take them out. But that their history in God can build such confidence that they're never, ever going to be alone in it. And some of you, I love you, but you got to get the fog off your life. This hard stuff has, has it's taken you out. You don't, you're not, you've lacked joy. You've lacked confidence. You've lacked perseverance. You're kind of on maintenance mode. Autopilot, cruise control, right? And it's not fun to live like that. God wants to come and meet you tonight. Would you bow your head for just a minute? Just with nobody moving around for just a minute, I just need us to stay for just a second. This is the most important part probably of the whole night. Some of you, you came tonight because somebody brought you or you came because you heard about it, but you know, you've never really walked with God. You've never really had confidence that you were his girl. And if you were to die tonight, you're not confident that you'd make it into heaven. You, you wonder that. You've always kind of wondered if you had a sure foundation, if you were really his. And tonight, you want, you want to walk with him. You want to, you want to begin your journey of being a Christ follower. And for the first time, you want to acknowledge that I want to do that, Havilah. I want to follow Christ for the first time, wholehearted, never looking back. This is what I want to do. The hard things in my life have taken me out. I'm tired. I'm weary. I don't want to do it on my own anymore. I don't want to try to figure it out on my own anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to hope that something else changes. I, I want to meet the God of hope. And if that's you tonight, I want you to lift your hand at me and wave at me for just a minute. Just wave at me. Don't hesitate. Yep. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Good. Lots of hands. Anybody else? It's the first time. I love that. Anybody else say, that's me. I want to walk with God for the first time. I've never done that fully, full-hearted. I love that. I'm proud of you. Anybody else say, that's me. I'm, I want to walk with Christ. Your heart's pounding because you know you're, you're having a decision right now. Make the right decision. Listen, God wants to walk with you. He's made you to walk with him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid.
Some of you tonight, you would say, you know, Havila, I've walked with God and I've, there was a time when I was like really passionate about it, but I've walked away. I, if you looked at my phone or you looked at my social feed or you watched the way that my life is at home, you wouldn't even know that I follow Christ because right now I'm leading my life. He's not leading my life anymore. And I, I want to go back under his leadership. I want to go back into being led by him. I want to live in confidence again that I'm following him. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. I want to return. I want to come home. Good. Anybody else? Good. Lots of hands. Anybody else? Yeah. It matters. We've all done it. It matters. confidence tonight like if we're going to move forward in tomorrow let's just let's just go for it let's just deal with it <laughs> and if that's you and you lift your hand for one of those things I'm going to ask you to be brave enough to stand just stand right where you are right now don't be afraid don't be ashamed it has it's no one's business while you're standing it's up to you you stand right now if you lifted your hand there were lots of hands I don't know why you're standing it's your reason you have every right to stand at this moment and make a heart change. You have every right. It matters right now. It is the most important thing right now. Don't hesitate. Don't stop. This is the moment of breakthrough for you right now. I've done it myself. I have stood myself in these moments and it matters. Everything can change in a moment. You can go to bed tonight and feel like God is leading your life for the first time and, or again and it can change everything. I'm so proud of you right now. Just stand doesn't matter who's around you. It's not up to them. It's up to you. Do you want your power back? Do you want your power back? This is your moment to get your power back. I love it. I love it. I love it. If you're standing, I want to pray with you tonight. And then I'm going to invite you down the front to get prayer. Will you just lift your hands for a minute, just as a sign of surrender, nothing more than that. Just lift your hands in any way. I want you to say this with me. Everyone can say it with these, our friends. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I don't want to lead my life on my own. I need your help. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. Come into my heart and live. I want to be your girl. I ask you, God, to change me, to change me, that my life would be yours forever and ever. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit. With those standing, some of you tonight, you would say, you know, Havilah, I've been going through hard things. I've been going through trials and tribulations, and to be honest, I've been pretty apathetic. I've been pretty overwhelmed, and I've tried to stay in a place of either hiding 
or immaturity or fear or worry or anxiety and I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to sit here anymore. I want to I want confidence to do what's in front of me and I'm looking for a spiritual breakthrough in my life for that confidence. If that's you, I want you to stand right now. Don't hesitate. Just stand. Join them. Say, I need I need a fresh anointing to do the hard things well. If that's you, just stand. Yep, all over this room. Don't hesitate. This is your moment of breakthrough. I, I sense it in the room. It doesn't matter. You can go home and say you want to do it, but this is the moment when we, when we act, something changes in us. When we stand and say, I'm, I'm done. I need a change. That's when everything changes. It's like, I don't know what it is, but something happens in us that releases grace to do the hard things well. If that's you, just stand right now. You don't even have to feel it. You don't even have to go, well, I, I just feel, no, no. If you make a decision, it's as good as done. It doesn't matter your emotional experience. What matters is your heart experience. I need a change, and I'm, I'm embracing that right now. If that's you, just stand. Don't hesitate right now. Yeah, yeah. I sense it right now. Some of you right now, you're breaking generational things. They're, the women in your family have always been victim to their situation and their circumstance, and you're breaking it off right now. You're saying, no, I'm not going to live like that anymore. This is for my daughter. This is for my granddaughter. I'm standing because I want to I wanna learn how to do this stuff well. I feel it in the room right now, and I just say yes and amen to you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You're saying yes right now. When it's somebody in this room right now, you got a diagnosis this week that has kept you. You literally have felt paralyzed by what the doctor has said. And I sense God is wanting to come and intervene right now in your body and in your mind and in your heart. Wave at me if that's you. You had something said to you that you're like, I need, I need a breakthrough. Wave at me. Who was that? Is that you right here? Yep, I felt that. If you're next to them, will you put your hand on them right now? I'm praying for breakthrough right now. Sovereign God, there's someone right here too. Yeah, just lay your hand on their shoulder. Is there anybody else over here? You're saying, that's me. I felt God to point them out to me today. Pray, I pray for breakthrough right now that what the doctor said is not going to last, but there's going to be a turnover. There's going to be a change right now. I speak it out right now. So for those of you that stood, you're looking for a breakthrough in the things that are coming at you, just lift your hands. That's you. Sign of surrender. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm believing right now for a breakthrough. Like, I'm believing that when you go to bed tonight, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the over, the insomnia is going to be broken, and you are going to have the deepest, sweetest, most beautiful sleep, and you're going to wake up and go, something happened right now. Holy Spirit, I just speak over every heart in this room right now. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, I give you authority to help me. I'm walking in your truth. I'm taking responsibility for what I can do. And I'm giving you everything I can't. And I ask you for breakthrough. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to obsess. I'm not going to control. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm going to give it to you, God. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I ask you for this in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Some of you right now, you feel it over you right now. You're getting breakthrough right now. Yeah, right now. I, I, I 
David, that the, the, the drama with your daughter-in-law is getting shut down right now. I see it. The drama with your with your daughter-in-law is getting shut down. That's going away in Jesus' name. You're gonna get breakthrough tonight. You're gonna get breakthrough right now. Holy Spirit, touch them right now. Who's my insomnia people? Those that cannot sleep well at night. You 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 feel like your brain does not stop. It does not shut off, even though you've tried. If you're standing next to them, and I, there's usually a, a, a quite a bit, lay your hand on their shoulder. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe you right now for complete breakthrough. Holy Spirit, I pray for every woman that has their hand raised. I come against tormenting spirits that want to come in at the night. And, and when their defenses are down, the Bible says like a roaring lion, you're coming to seek and devour. And lions hunt at night and early in the morning. And we say, no, we are protected by your spirit right now. I come against insomnia. I come against obsession of, of thoughts and memories. I, I pray against night terrors and dreams that haunt them. And I pray, Spirit of God, you'd be the God of the night time right now Lord that they would pray at, pray at that moment and sense breakthrough right now right now Holy Spirit yep some of you right now I am sensing complete breakthrough like you are gonna get it and you're gonna be shocked who has the little girl that gets tormented at night that doesn't sleep is that you I felt it over there right now Holy Spirit I pray for her daughter right now I say no more torment no more torment in the name of Jesus. I pray for breakthrough right now, right now. Yeah, right now. I just pray, I speak it over her family right now. Complete breakthrough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, does anybody feel like they're getting kind of tormented? I, I don't know if you're brave enough to say that, but I just sense there's some torment. Is that you back there? Holy Spirit, if you're next to her, just lay your hand on her. I just pray right now. I felt like the Lord wanted you to know it, it doesn't have to do with you. It's tormenting you, and really it's a generational thing. And I just, I see it coming off of you. Like, there's just been some the chaos around you, like a turmoil, like a whirlwind. Like, when you step into it, you sense just a lot of turmoil. And I just say no in the name of Jesus. All of that chaos is going away, and peace is coming to your home. I, I, I'll say this. I don't know if this is true because I don't know enough about your economy to know this. But I felt like there's a spirit of poverty that's tried, that tries to come into this region. And I understand Reading is actually called, was called Poverty Flats. So I'm, there's no judgment. We live in a place that was called Poverty Flats, okay? And we have, we have it too. But I, I feel like for some of you, you've never had financial breakthrough. You just never have. Your family never had it. You've never had it. And God wants to bring financial breakthrough in your life that you would be able to no longer feel like you're trying to survive, but you begin to feel like you can, you can thrive and you can be generous and you can give. So if that's you, just wave at me. I, I just sense it over you. Yep. I just prophesy right now. And I just say that the breakthrough that's been waiting for them would come right now. Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity to, to, to thrive would happen right now. Lord, for those that were raised in poverty, for those that were raised with a poverty mentality that never allowed them to believe for more, I just ask God that they would be kingdom-minded and that they would be, that they would realize that was their earthly family, but they have a very wealthy heavenly father that's coming in, that's coming in, that's going to give them breakthrough. I see money coming into bank accounts. I see money coming into bank accounts, and you're shocked. And I feel like the Lord says, it's not if, it's when, and you need a plan for when. 
play the lottery, that plan, that plan is to give and to steward. And I just speak it over you in Jesus' name. I don't know what it is, but I also felt like the lottery here has been a big deal. And I think it's really kept people in victim to it. And I just felt like there's some of you, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but you are addicted to gambling. You're addicted to gambling in the lottery. And I, I don't know who it is, but I feel like now the Lord is saying he's going to break that tie that's kept you consistently believing for kind of like a, a lottery moment. But he's going to break all of that. I feel like it's been an addiction. Even when you were a teenager, you've been playing it and you've been giving money obsessively. And the Lord wants to break that off of you that you would not be hoping for that kind of breakthrough, an earthly breakthrough, but you'd go into a supernatural breakthrough. So I don't know who it is, but I just declare over you right now, if you surrender to the will of God and the voice of God right now, you're going to sense a total breakthrough. And you're going to walk by places where you used to buy it and you're not going to be tempted anymore to do it. It's going to be totally broken off of you. I just sense it right now. Who here is in pain right now? You have physical pain right now. Yeah. Yeah. You just feel it. You just have physical pain. If you're next to any one of those, will you put your hand on their shoulders for just a minute? I won't take keep us much longer. But I just feel like there's, there's actually, I just, I often get this feeling like all of a sudden there's healing in the room. And we, we see this everywhere we go. I think it's part of the anointing on the house that I come from, but... I'll say this, we just see breakthrough in bodies. I don't know how, I, we don't, no one lays, I don't lay their, my hands on them. They just happen, it just happens because God's in the room. So I just pray right now for pain right now. Back, chronic back pain that has never left them alone. Knees, I pray for the left knee right now. I pray for the migraine that's hanging out in the back of their head right now, or the, that's kind of wrapped itself around their head. I pray for complete breakthrough right now. Lord, for those that are in chronic fatigue and their body aches and fibromyalgia, I say right now, set them free by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God right now. The accident that happened is no, it's not going to be their story. Their body's going to be healed right now. Even the in the pink right now, I just prophesy over you healing in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus right now. In the name of Jesus. I want you just to test your body and see if anything's changed. Just test it. Wherever the pain was, just test it. Does anybody experience any difference in their body right now? Just wave at me if you, if you experience. How, how much? Percentage? 100%? 50%? What? Who, who would say 100%? You feel 100% difference right here? What was happening with you? Your knee. Your left knee. And you feel totally different? All right. Anybody else? That's awesome. Right here? What's going on? You've had a headache for two days. It's gone? Come on. Woo! That's awesome, Gretchen. Anybody else feel a breakthrough? Yes, what's happened with you? Fibromyalgia for years. Yeah, and you're not feeling anything right now. Come on. I love it. Anybody else? have a difference right back here yeah it feels so much better left you couldn't even walk up the stairs come on Woo! you know I, what's your name Cheryl Cheryl you're getting a total breakthrough right now I, I sense it over you you've been really crying out for breakthrough and you've needed it there's something happening in your in your family that's really taking you out and you felt really burdened by it 
And the Lord wants you to know that there's freedom coming. It doesn't have much to do with you. It's really been something that's come from the outside. And it's been tor- it's kind of been tormenting you. And I feel like you, you have a tendency to hold the burden of it. And the Lord wants to really give you a total freedom, a peace. You've been really asking for it. You've been saying, God, I need peace. Like, I need, I need peace that passes my understanding of the situation. And God's going to give it to you. I really sense that over you. And um, I really, do you have kids? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's healing coming into to the, to one of them. And I think it might even be a, a brain development in the way that they process life. But I just saw like, I don't even know. I'm not saying this over you. You're not like, but I feel like you're, you're going to, there's going to be, one of them has a very, uh, they're going to have a very uh, different way of looking at life. I don't know who it is, but they're going to have a clarity and clarity. People are going to diagnose it as something like what's like they're like something's delayed, but really there's an intellect and intelligence and a creativity that's completely different. And you're gonna go like, I feel like God's gonna help you channel it. And the Lord said that that He's gonna, I don't know if it's a he or a she, but I feel like they're gonna create things that are gonna change culture. Like they're gonna be an inventor and they're gonna invent things that they would never have. You are a creative person and you see things differently and you're kind of textile. And I, I saw that, like you were gonna create avenues for them to, to really experience creatively things that they've never experienced. And the Lord said, you're a teacher. And I don't know if you're a teacher, but you like to teach things. And I, I feel like the Lord said, you're gonna, this teaching gift is gonna grow. And I saw you having fun play, and you're gonna teach a lot of fun play, but it's exactly what they need. And, and God said, you're gonna be one that's gonna teach things and, and not to belittle that, and not to think, well, it's, you know, it's just a small little thing. No, God said, are cultivating genius that's what you're doing and I sense it over you like you're going to cultivate genius because you're going to give permission for the dip for different you're going to give permission for different and so God says keep going it's a part of your calling to cultivate that genius part of, of the ones that you're around so yes and amen to that in your life yes and amen there's someone behind you yeah yeah what are you feeling your hands it stopped. You're burning in your hands, and your in your arm, and it feels it feels different. Good. I love it. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Can we give God a hand for that? I I don't want to mess with this too much, but I feel like some of you tonight, you're like, I need someone to lay hands on me. Like I need breakthrough, and I'm feeling good, but I just I I came and I need someone to pray with me. That's what this team is here for. They are excited about praying with you. They came ready to pray with you. They came ready to speak over your life. And if that's you, I don't want you to leave without prayer. So they, they're here. And if you need it, they're here. Uh, but I'm done for tonight and I will see you tomorrow. And the, the Lord wants you to know the word of God over your life is come tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you.